Well, last week we left off in chapter 15, and uh, there are a few of us here. Uh, I know quite a few of you didn't make it last week, and uh, maybe anticipation of the snow. And uh, but we had a, a great time. You know, it was kind of a little bit of a teaser, as you know. About two weeks ago, it hit 51 degrees here. And uh, and then last week, Vicky and I actually got out the uh, got out the lawn chairs, and uh, I just had a shot of of uh, us sitting out. <laughs> so welcome back, and uh, we're glad that you're here. We are we're going through a story here, and it's it's uh, sometimes when you miss part of the story, you know, it's kind of like stepping out in a in a movie that you're watching, and so. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you might want to read through chapter 15 at some point. It was a, uh, I will be referencing that, but let me just bring you up to speed because it's going to be a part of today. There was a big controversy that was erupting, and that was did Gentiles who are becoming Christians need to be circumcised? And at one point, Paul was the only one that was standing up saying, No. It is not necessary to put that Old Testament law upon the new Gentile believers. And it was a big, uh, a big debate, and eventually Peter got on board, and Barnabas got on board, and James got on board, and so the church decided that no, Gentile believers did not need to be circumcised uh, <coughs> in order to fellowship with the other Jews and in order to be saved. And so... We, we looked at that decision last week. Now, in chapter 16, if you read through the whole chapter, of course, the big event is what happens in Philippi with the Philippian jailer and the earthquake. We're going to look at that next week. But this morning, we're going to look at the first ten verses. Now, as you listen to that, you may have thought, I didn't see anything real dramatic happening there in those ten verses. And I think it would be easy to skip over but there are a couple of, of very important points here that we need to look at, especially as we are asking this question. What does it mean for us to be a missional church? As we view the, the mission of the early church and as we look at the lessons there, what does it mean, what are the lessons that you and I can learn and, and need to learn? And so I want us to look at that question this morning. I want to just remind us also that it was... It was about five years ago that we adopted basically two things. And when people ask me, you know, what's, what's the focus of Bethany, I say there's two things. One is, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? What does it mean to function like a body? You know, we're called this body of Christ, and of course a, 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 our, our physical bodies are very amazing. So what does it look like to actually function as a body where... You know, one part cares for the other part, where people are supportive, where people are caring, where people are working together. And so, we have spent a lot of time over the last four years looking at that. We went to a pretty extensive one another series, How Do We Love One Another? Uh, we spent about nine months on how do we deal with issues of conflict that come up, how do we communicate with one another in a, in a godly way. And we've really learned what does it mean to be interdependent upon one another. The other question is, what does it mean to be missional? 
Not only what does it mean to come together as a body, but then what does it mean to be functioning as a body in a missional way? And uh, we've done uh, uh, quite a few things, a lot of them not right here. We have helped our church in Sumi build. We've helped uh, in a couple churches in Haiti. We've planted now uh, three churches over the last four years. And I heard from Brad this week. Some of you get his newsletter. They had uh, Tuesday night, I think they had <coughs> over 50 people there. Uh, they've set their first opening service for September 11th, and they're having their first baptism. So God is at work there, and we've seen God working in that mission uh, beyond our own area here. This last fall, as you know, we had 10 people that got together in a, on a vision team and spent 10 weeks praying and, and seeking how we might focus our vision. And... God again brought up the same two areas, just a little bit different focus. In the area of what does it mean to be a body, the question we're asking is, how can we beat the percentages because there's a 80, it's called the 80-20 rule. 80% of the people in the church, or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In other words, 20% of the people are, are really engaged in the ministry of a church, and, and 80% are... You know, probably come and, but aren't really engaged. What would it look like as a church to become a, a fully engaged church? And so we sense that God is calling us to provide opportunity, to provide some resources to help uh, anyone in this body who, who would like to, you know, be a part of those that really feel like you're engaged here. That's our goal. And, uh, we want to be praying about that. Just imagine a body. Just imagine if your physical body, if 20% of your organs were functioning well, and the other 80% were not functioning fully. I mean, you'd be kind of lethargic. You would not nearly be as productive. And I think the same thing's true for the church. As every one of us, Paul says, every one of us is a part of the body. Thus, when everyone is functioning and doing their part, the, the body becomes extremely effective. And it becomes extremely effective for mission. And so, God is turning our attention, I believe, uh, not only from doing the things, continuing what we're doing abroad, but turning our attention locally to what does it mean to be missional right here in Mosinee and Wausau and Schofield and Rothschild and Weston, and in this immediate area. It was Henry Blackaby who said, you can't go with God and stay where you are. And so, Vicki and I began to ask ourselves that question. What, what's it gonna, what are the changes that are going to need to pl take place in our lives for us to become more missional in our neighborhood? And Because uh, we can't just stay where we are and go with God. If God is calling us to a new place, then we, we have to ask ourselves, what does that look like? And so as, as we're about learning what it means to be missional, we're going to look at a couple more lessons this morning. And uh, here's, here's a couple more things that we see that I think are critical. Acts 16. Paul and Barnabas are heading out on their second trip. I'm going to ask Chris to put the map up just to remind us here. Uh, you'll see Antioch kind of above Jerusalem there on the, on the right side. And 
On their first trip, they took off across there the, to Cyprus. They took set sail and they went to Cyprus. And then they went up and they traveled north up into Antioch, Pisidia. Now there's two Antiochs. One is just above Jerusalem and then there's the Pisidia Antioch. They went there, they went to Iconium, they went to Lystra, they went to Derby, and they started churches. It was a church planting ministry. And they, they started those churches and then they worked their way back and they came back. They've spent some time in Antioch. And now, Paul says, you know, why don't we go back? Why don't we take another trip? Let's go back and visit those towns and see how those churches are doing. And so, that's what's going on here in chapter 16. This time, however, they're going to go by land. Instead of sailing across to Cyprus, they're going to head north or, and, then, and then back across west and they're going to be visiting again uh, Lystra and Derby and, and those towns and looking at expanding the ministry there. So, as we see here, now heading back, this is their second trip, they end up back in Lystra. Remember Lystra? Probably not, if your memory's like mine. Lystra was a place where they healed a crippled man. Everybody started worshiping them because they thought they were gods. And then when they realized they weren't gods, then they stoned them. So they stoned Paul and they thought, they dragged Paul outside and they thought he was dead. And uh, God raised him up again. It's a, it was an amazing place. It's not the place I would return to. But they went back and that's where they connected up with a young man whose name was Timothy. Now, this guy probably got saved on the first trip. It had been a few years now. And Paul was really impressed with this young man. And so he begins to disciple him and plans to take him on, on a trip. And, and that's where we see these words written. And let me just again highlight in verses 1 to 4. He came to Derby, then Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer. His father was a Greek. The brothers wanted to take him on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, we have to take a time out here. We have to take a time out. <clears throat> because we just spent the last chapter in this big debate Paul leading the charge to say the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. There's not a requirement for Gentiles to be circumcised. He has a message that he's delivering to all the churches that Gentiles, you know, that it's not necessary any longer to be circumcised. And so they're taking Timothy and they ask him to be circumcised. That seems like a problem. That seems like a bit of hypocrisy. And yet, this is a very, very important lesson here that we need to learn. And let me just explain what's going on. Paul here is very adamant that you do not need to be circumcised to be saved. You do not need to be circumcised to be saved. Paul will die for that truth. It is Christ and Christ alone. There is nothing else that you need to add to Christ's work and faith to be saved. And so Paul will go to the wall for that truth. But there's another truth that Paul will go to the wall for. And that is that though it is not required, 
to be circumcised, Paul says, I will do anything that is not morally wrong to remove any barrier to the Gospel. And so, you know, here, here he is. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just uh, let me read this passage and you'll see it up on the wall. 1 Corinthians 9. This is what's going on. Paul writes in, chapter, in verse 20, To the Jews I become like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Verse 22. To the weak, I become weak. To win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. So I can envision Paul sitting down with Timothy and saying something like this. Look at Timothy. You don't need to do this to be saved. Your salvation is not dependent upon this. Uh, this is not something that is required. It is not something that's required for fellowship. I think I have demonstrated that by our relationship together. However, and I'm quoting now from 1 Corinthians 10, everything is permissible, but not everything is profitable. Everything's permissible, but not everything is constructive. No one should think about his own good, but only the good of others. So Timothy, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be willing to be circumcised because if you're not circumcised, it's going to create barriers with the Jews that we're trying to reach. Now they have a weak conscience, but in order to win the weak, we're going to become like the weak. And we're going to be, I'm going to ask you to be willing to do that. Now that was no small thing when you're a young man. And, uh, you know... So Timothy here has to be willing, and, and obviously it doesn't make any big deal of it, it's just like something that happens here. Paul's saying it's not necessary, but it would be profitable and constructive in this situation for you to go ahead and do this. And so we see that Timothy gets circumcised. And so here's the principle. Very important principle. And this is Paul's, Paul was consistent with this all the way through. Number one, add nothing to the gospel. Don't add anything to the gospel. In what you require people to be saved, it is Christ and Christ alone. And, and Paul is adamant about that. But here's the second part of the equation. Remove everything... Remove everything that is a barrier to hearing the Gospel. Remove everything that is a barrier to hearing the Gospel. Paul was willing to compromise on anything that was not part of the Gospel or was not morally wrong. He was willing to change his dress. He was willing to change his hair. He was willing to change his habits. He was willing to change his approach to ministry. And how he shared the gospel? He was willing to adapt to the culture that he was going into in order to, to get a hearing for the gospel? Now I know compromise is a bad word in the church. But here we see Paul encouraging this young man to compromise. He, he, Paul knew Timothy didn't have 
to be circumcised, but asked him to compromise that right for the sake of the gospel. Now, this is a contemporary issue. This is an issue that is very real for us as a church. Um, our, our conference has dealt with this in the last year. I, I've been a Baptist for 57 years. I was in the church when I was seven days old. And so uh, I have a right to stand up here and tell you I'm a Baptist. And uh, those are my roots and those are my names. That's my name. But what if that name becomes a barrier to the gospel? And our conference dealt with this issue. They were finding there were places, and, and our conference has a very global perspective, there were places around the world where the Baptist General Conference, because of misconceived conceptions of Baptists, were not able to go and be invited in. Unfortunately, others had tarnished that name and damaged that name. And so our, our conference went through this issue of, you know, do we change the name? You know, we have our tradition and our roots and our heritage, and then we have, however, we have the gospel and the call to not do anything that would, would, would do that. And so our, our conference decided to maintain the Baptist General Conference as our, as our legal name, but to use a missional name, Converge Worldwide, for the sake of opening up more opportunities to go in and to be able to, as a denomination, share the gospel. Now, not everyone agrees with that decision, but I, I'll tell you my opinion. I, I think Paul would have not had a problem with that decision. As, as you look at the things he was willing to sacrifice for the sake of getting a hearing for the gospel. You know, the things I love about the word Baptist is what it means to me. And that means, you know, it means the authority of, uh, it means the authority of Scripture. It means salvation through grace alone. It means uh, believers being baptized. It means that we all have access to God. And there are a lot of things that I really enjoy about the Baptist denomination. The problem is that there are many places outside where that is not what Baptist means. Uh, <clears throat> Baptist means people who add all kinds of rules to the gospel. Uh, it means jumping and rolling in the aisles. I wasn't aware of that, but I, I've run into several people that have had that perception of, of what we are. Um, Pastor friend of mine, in their community, Baptists were people that went around during Mass on a Sunday morning and put flyers under everybody's windshield that says, you're going to hell. You know, <clears throat> um, in the southern part, there are places now where Baptists are those who picket the memorial services of our servicemen. And uh, let me tell you, the people that live in those areas that are, you know, just Baptists really trying to serve the Lord have, have really had a hard time. And so, it's, it's an issue. It's an issue that we have. And... Those are the kinds of questions that we have to wrestle with as a church. Um, <clears throat> the question for the missional church is, you know, what do we have the right to do? You know, or the question is not even really what do we like. 
I think Paul is saying here, the question is, what is, be- what is the best thing for reaching people with the gospel? That's the question. Now, I'm not advocating a name change for Bethany at this point. It, it's an issue we have to probably deal with sometime. We've got enough change. We've got enough change going on around here right now. So don't, don't get concerned about that. But the principle is this, and, and you know, it's expanded into a lot of areas. We've, we've made some adjustments in our Sunday morning, not because we would like to sleep in later. You maybe thought we were thinking of you. <laughs> um, we're thinking of people who are out late Saturday night and who have all they can do to get up at 10 o'clock. We've run into that in our own neighborhood. People would say, I'd like to come to your church, but man, 9 o'clock is just too early. And so we are trying to remove barriers to people coming and hearing the gospel. And so it's a very important principle, and it, you know, it, affects, it should be affecting uh, a lot of things about our lives. Uh, it's a very big issue and a very important issue is that we as believers need to be thinking about you know, what it is that we can do to, to share the gospel. I remember, I remember Central Baptist. This was many years ago now. And there was a couple in that church, long-term faithful couple, that left the church because the church built a gymnasium. And, and they, were just, they felt it was a waste of money, that it wasn't a spiritual thing to be building a place for people to come and play basketball. Until their unsaved son joined an outreach basketball team and got saved. They came back to the church. They apologized to the overseers. They said, we were wrong. And what they didn't realize was this church was trying to provide opportunities for unsaved people to hear the gospel. And it's funny how everything changes, you know, when it's your kid. Now, we don't want to do this, you know, and then all of a sudden it's, it's your kid that gets saved to one of these, which you think is a ridiculous ministry, and then all of a sudden you realize that God is uh, blessing people that, that try, are sincerely trying to find all ways, by all means, Paul says, to, to reach people with the gospel. We've got church plants, and, and I've, talked to, I've talked to a number of people my age who, who go into church plants, and you know, they've got to bring earplugs for the music because they just, you know, it's, it's too loud, it's not the kind of music that they, they can worship with, but they see people getting saved and lives being transformed. And, and I've had several say to me, you know what, I don't care for the music, I don't even really like it, I don't like this, but you know what, I... I am seeing lives being transformed and changed through this ministry, and that's why I stay. Here's the second principle that we see. Number one, we need to be thinking about what are the barriers that, that we might be putting up to people coming and having an opportunity to hear the gospel. Here's the second thing, verses 6 to 10. We see that they are seeking to spread the gospel now, and, and they head kind of to the uh, they head to the southwest. And we don't know what happened, but it said all of a sudden the spirit stopped them, and it wouldn't let them go there. And they knew there were unsaved people there. They knew there was opportunity there, but they they the Holy Spirit said no. And I, I don't know if they just you know I don't know if there were people with you know ready to kill them at the border, or 
if they just were sensing like something's wrong here in their spirit. But, you know, so they, they try to go southwest and, and they're blocked. So then they're going to go north and they're going to go north and, and spread the gospel and they're blocked there. And so they end up in Troas and they're praying and they have this vision of this guy in Macedonia saying, come on over and help us. And all of a sudden Paul and, and Silas, they realize, wow, God is, God's leading us here. We need to, this is where God is opening the door. And so we see here the importance of following the Spirit in ministry. The importance of following the Spirit in, in ministry. And, uh, you know, we just can't, sometimes there's a need and we, we see the need and we say, oh, we're going to go fill that need. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe God's not calling you to do that. We, we talked about this as a vision team, about how hard it is to say no. When you see things and you see needs and, and, and yet you have to ask the question, what is God leading us to do? If you're going to focus your vision, that means yes to some things, but it means no to other things. And so we see here this principle that, that we need to be really seeking to listen and watching where the, the Spirit is, is leading I remember when I got out of seminary. It was a spring day in May. I'd spent the week and I was I'd spent the week and I was I had this youth I had the most dynamic youth program you can imagine all spelled out and I was starting that next day at Stanford Baptist Church as a youth director. And I had I mean it was gonna be it was gonna be one youth program. I had the whole thing Outline and just exactly how we're going to do it. And I'm on my Honda 350 driving out of Minneapolis in uh, St. Louis Park, heading home, thinking about what I'm going to do, and a, a young 18-year-old girl turned right in front of me. Didn't see me. And uh, I ended up in a week in Unity Hospital in Fridley on my back. And I'm going... God, what's going on here? And uh, out of that experience, you know, I, I, I learned something very, very quickly. God was teaching me a lesson very, very early on. And, and that is, you know, I, I'm going to do this thing. I mean, you can join me while I'm doing, but this is my thing. It's not your thing. And it was a very humbling thing because my plans that I had to start this thing got all messed up. And... I really strongly felt like, like God was speaking to me saying, you need to learn very early on that you need to follow me. You need to follow me. I remember Journey Church. We, we've been praying for three years about a church plant up there. And, you know, we've just had to wait. Sometimes you have to wait for good things to happen. I've seen that need in that community of 10,000 people. And... Uh, very few evangelical churches that have any size up there involving people, and, and yet we had to wait and wait for the open door that God would give. And so, very important principle. You know, you look in history, it was some of the, three of the greatest missionaries, Livingston. He wanted to go to China. He ends up in Africa. And you've got William, you got Carey who wanted to go to Polynesia, and he ends up in India. And then you have Judson who wanted to go to India and he ends up in Burma. And so God will often 
redirect, and we have to be listening, is the point. We need to be listening. We need to be reminded of one of our key values here, and that is dependency. You know, we can never get out of that mode of dependency, of, of listening, of saying, God, okay, what is it that you're doing? How can we be about what you're doing? What are the ministries that you're wanting us to, to, to join you in? And so, very, very important. This is Christ's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. He is the head of the church. Well, let me conclude. Uh, we need to be willing to sacrifice and change and adjust and for the best opportunity for people to hear the gospel. This includes everything from our personal time to our resources, our energy, our schedule, our formats. We, we need to be thinking about what might be a barrier for people. And then we need to listen to the Spirit and we need to follow His lead as we're involved in ministry. You know, in 1 Corinthians 9.23... Uh, Paul has been talking about why he is making, you know, because he got criticized. Paul got criticized for, you know, now you're being like this with these people, now you're changing here and doing this, and now you're shaving your head to be with these people, now you're taking a Nazarite vow for this, and now you're telling Timothy that he has to be circumcised when you have a letter in your hand that says they don't have to be circumcised. You can see why Paul got criticized. He was always looking for how he might adapt and change in order to go in and not compromise the gospel, but to not put up any unnecessary barriers to those that he was trying to reach. And so Paul is summarizing his attitude here in, in 1 Corinthians 9. And he, what he basically says there, and let me just read it. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. And then he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So when Paul talks about running the race, this is what he's talking about. And so I have a picture this morning as we conclude. You know, I, I think we can be, as it, when it comes to the gospel and, and really ministering to this community and really seeking to make a difference here, you know, we can be people, a group of people who are just walking and strolling. Or we can be a people who are running. And that's a very different picture, isn't it? And so this morning, I, I would challenge us, as God has given us this vision, that we would run this race. Uh, I'd like you to, I'm going to conclude with this clip, and, uh, and then I'll pray. <coughs> funny to think about it now. It wasn't that long ago, but when I was younger, when I was a kid, I used to run. I used to run everywhere. There's something in me. I wouldn't stop. I, I ran to my parents. I ran to my bed. And I just ran. And I think, I think we're all sort of like that. We're all on fire for life, with no responsibilities, just living excited to get places and, and then at some point I stopped we all stopped we just started walking we started coping getting comfortable getting content we were no
no longer on fire. We were no longer passionate. There was no longer the burning desire in our hearts. But we kept walking, fitting in. And you could call it whatever you want. Proper, easy, normal. But it all just seemed so boring. Is this what it was about? Life isn't about being comfortable or content or making it easy. Maybe we were supposed to be different and be passionate, not lukewarm. Maybe instead of walking around and being normal, we were supposed to be radical. Maybe we're supposed to run. Father, this morning we thank you for the example of Paul and Silas, these early Christians. Father, truly running the race that you had set before them. Father, you've set before us the same race. You've set before us the same vision to reach our community and our world. And uh, to do it, Father, with passion. Father, we pray for our body. We pray for each of our lives. We pray that you would fill us with a fresh wind, with the fresh winds of your spirit. And uh, Father, that we might run the race that you have set before us. Father, we thank you and we just acknowledge at this moment people in this community today that a year from now, might be sitting in this place. We pray for them. We pray for your working and moving in our midst in this way. And uh, Lord, might you just might you just enlarge our vision and move us in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.